0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see, open our ears that we might hear, open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. This will be fun. Have a seat. (laughs) Glad you laughed. I haven't been laughing almost all week. I'm because of that, I'm going to say a few things on the front end before we sit with these words of Jesus. Uh, The first is, I'm going to say it up front. I'm going to take a little bit longer today than I know. Um, And that is because, as you've already heard these words of Jesus, touch heavily. Anger, adultery, horror,
1: oaths. Either me
0: personally, my life, my family, my friends, any of these. And the lectionary is like, let's do all four on the same side. Which, by the way, I think this is one of the difficult gifts of the lectionary. We're on a three-year cycle. We don't choose the, the scripture readings on a Sunday. The church has used these cycles of readings for a very long time. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount. Most people really love the first part. And then we get into some of the more moral, ethical teaching of Jesus. And it's really when the rubber begins to hit. Jesus here, as you've already heard, is going to speak into some really hard things this morning. Shelby and I were driving around this week, and she goes, how are you feeling about Sunday? And I go, these are the Sundays
1: I wish teddy bear Jesus was We live in
0: an age of gurus. I'm listening to a fascinating podcast the BBC did right now on the age of gurus. One of the uh, people they bring on as an author of a book, she makes the case. She goes, "People talk today about how we are less spiritual." She goes, "I adamantly disagree." Just scroll Instagram. Gurus are everywhere. Some of them have some incredible things to say in ways that are really helpful. And I want, out of our teacher, Jesus, to be the kind of teacher, the kind of master, the kind of king, the kind of friend, if I'm honest, can I be honest, who doesn't ever say anything.
1: Because I don't want to be
0: challenged. And even as a pastor, I'll just say this too, I know that many of us, myself included, have experienced these themes exactly being real church as a form of control
1: as a form of wounding. here's what I have to say to you this morning just because others have done it for you, that's the word I'm going to use this morning because I'm a pastor and I don't like it because others have done it for you, doesn't mean that what Jesus has to say isn't true I don't always believe that But as I read for our call of worship, I read Romans 12, 1 and 2 in the message.
0: And I think it captures so well, I think, at the heart of what God wants to do and invite us into this morning. I'm going to read it again. Paul writes, here's what I want you to do. God helping me. God helping me. This isn't done outside of God in the light of God being deepened in us. Even the willingness to be honest, the willingness to, with Jesus, look in the mirror. Because that's what Jesus is going to do today. He's going to hold up the mirror. Even the willingness to be willing to look is grace. Here's what I want you to do, God, helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God's Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God and I would end it for you.
1: This is what repentance means, to rethink your thinking, to rethink your strategy for them. And so with that, let's pray. That we are your friends.
0: And so Jesus, on behalf of me and your friends, I ask for your grace, for your presence. Will you come, Holy Spirit?
1: On this Sunday,
0: as we long for on every Sunday, Holy Spirit, would you extend to me and to us the grace that over the next few minutes, may only truth be spoken. And may only truth be spoken.
1: Holy Spirit, so often you're on the edges of life, and we invite you to step out of those edges and come. Would you give us the grace to be honest, but in that, would you begin the work of healing? Would you begin and continue the work of restoration? We pray this, Jesus, in your name.
0: Amen. Amen. Uh, the first movement this morning is Jesus' phrase, which he uses a number of times, you have heard it said. Uh, repetition is the mother of all learning, and Jesus is a master when it comes to this. If you look at just the Sermon on the Mount, he opens with blessed are, he then moves on to you are, two times, and then comes to a number of phrases, you have heard it said six times, we're we'll looking at four today. And over the span of these six sayings, he covers anger, adultery, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving. And these six statements that Jesus is going to bring up, that you have heard it said, are not uncommon sayings in Jesus' day. And so we have to ask ourselves what is it that Jesus is doing in this teaching? Jesus is taking what many of his hearers have understood. He's addressing the prevailing assumptions of the day, but more than that, he's dropping down as he likes to do into the deeper places. Most of these statements, you can be found in the Levitical law, and Jesus isn't throwing it away. If anything, what Jesus is saying, I would argue, is the law doesn't go far enough. And so Jesus is going to drop down not to just address behavior, but like all of his moral teachings, he drops down into the intentions and desires that run below the behaviors. It's one of the most challenging things for me about following Jesus is that all of Jesus's moral teachings won't let us get away with technicalities. Jesus is going to speak to what is in our hearts and what leads to what is beginning to leak out. And I think the invitation for me and for you this morning is to not let ourselves off the hook on technicalities, but to go into the deeper places, into the groundwater of our souls. Let me give you an example. During the earliest parts of the pandemic, if I'm honest, I was drinking too much. And it was very easy for me. I have a number of friends who are in Ritaka. In fact, they are some of my
1: favorite women in The things that they have wrestled with, the things that they have gone through, the work that they've done
0: is incredible. But it was easy for me to go, this is all really stressful. So I'm just gonna have one more. Like this. this is all really stressful. I'm going to have. And there was a way of justifying it, of letting myself off on a technicality. You're also going to see Jesus a number of times in these teachings bring up the hell of fire. What Jesus is not talking about here is what many of us have understood as the hell of the afterlife. What Jesus is talking about here and he's using rabbinic tradition in the way that they taught to talk about the fact that if you let yourself off on technicalities, you're going to end up in a really dangerous place because none of these things stay small.
1: The Holy Spirit and friends,
0: family, spiritual director, was all able to bring to attention, hey, it's not dangerous, but it's headed
1: Jesus is going to invite us to not let ourselves off the hook with the technicality. So even a few more things before we look at these. First, I would say, friends, your heart and your soul matter deeply to God loves you more than you love me. And your heart and your soul matter so deeply to the triune, the way you live matters to God, the way you live matters. The way you live matters to God. And this may be for some of us the hardest pill to swallow. You're also the kind of person who does the things you do. I am the kind of person who does the things
0: I would love to blame angry outbursts on a stressful day and I just haven't worked out or I'm hungry. And don't get me wrong, sometimes the Snickers commercial is right. I'm walking around like Betty White, and it's just like, hey, I think you need a snack. But it's easy to let myself off on the technicality that I just need to eat, or I just need to go work out, or it's been a really hard day. But the truth is, if I'm not willing to come to terms with the fact that I'm an angry
1: person, then I'm unable to make space for God to do what God wants to do, because God
0: The invitation is to acknowledge reality. Jesus knows you. Jesus loves you. He understands the complexity of your life,
1: and Jesus welcomes you here in His. Life. If Jesus were here today, He would say this same exact thing, and then He would turn, and He would say, "Come." And eat. So that's what we'll do too. The second movement this morning is Jesus' teaching on anger.
0: Jesus says, You've heard it said, don't murder, but I say to you, do not be angry. The ethic of Jesus is that if you are angry, you are liable. Again, Jesus is going to pick up where the law leaves off. This is Jesus's move which we talked about a moment ago, a move into the deeper places, into the intention of the heart. Anger is an emotion. It's neutral. It's not good or evil. Anger is an emotion that most often rises for us when our desires and intentions are thwarted. And some of us are angry And we're not willing to admit it. We're not willing to name it. Everybody else around us knows. We probably know, but we're not willing to name it. For me, for a long time, my unwillingness to name it was because I had been wounded so often at the hand of someone's anger. And because I had wounded with my own anger, didn't want to come to terms with that. Sometimes anger is justified. Sometimes it's not. But as all of life is so complex, usually it's a mix of fun. And so Jesus goes on in this teaching to explain how what starts as anger will ultimately lead to other things, leaps. You'll move from anger to saying careless words, to being strategic about how you hurt another person. And Jesus says at that point, and this is when he brings up the hell of fire, Jesus wants you to know when you move from just angry, to calling people names, to becoming strategic about how you're going to harm another person because you're angry. Jesus goes, you are in danger. He says you're liable. You'll have to answer to it before God, but also you'll have to answer to it to one another. People have lost community over this. They've lost family. They've lost friends. They've lost jobs. The fruit of it is not, the fruit of unbridled anger is not good Everything in us leaves for better or for worse. So I think one of Jesus's invitation here, especially in the analogy that he gives of the gift at the altar, is to pay attention to our anger and its markers, and then to do something about it. You're going to see Jesus quite a bit invite us to do something about it. He uses the example that if there's a gift at the altar, go and make it right, leave it at the altar. What Jesus is saying, is, "Listen, friends, if something is off, act like it. Is. I grew up in the South, plus your heart is good to see you, and they'd walk away and they'd be like, "I hate her. The worst no, see." Yeah, some of you know. When something was off, we never acted like it was off. My family fell apart because of. It.
1: No one knew what home was really. Jesus' invitation to us is to listen. If something's off, name it and act. Of course, you are sitting there going, well, how do I know something's off? God will show you. Others will show you. And people you have hurt or harmed will eventually work. And that is all. And here's what I'll say: I have never met a person who does conflict well. And I think we need to make more room to allow people to make a mess.
0: Because if my expectation is perfect,ly and that comes out in subtle ways, I am nothing more than a person you can't approach and say, hey. "Because I am just going to Monday morning quarterback how you talk.
1: We need to make room for people to a mess. Third movement is adultery. Jesus follows again the same pattern. He says, "Don't
0: have a sexual encounter with someone who is not your married. Partner. Don't have a sexual encounter with someone who is not your married partner. And again, be careful, beloved, of technicality."
1: If your partner saw you doing what you're doing, would they be comfortable with it? Jesus goes on, but I say
0: to you, again, Jesus is dropping into deeper places. We spin off and allow ourselves to get off on technicalities. Jesus moves into the deeper places, especially when it comes to lust. And lust means to covet. It means to see and desire to consume something or someone who is not yours. That broadens it. I've never committed adultery.
1: For those of us who have ever desired someone or someone, someone or something that is not ours, Jesus is digging below the actual act.
0: I think it's a reminder you and I are invited to tend to the little things in our lives that rarely ever stay little. Because the sin, the brokenness, the bent in toward ourselves comes from somewhere. And I want to say this explicitly as I can. That body you are taking is not yours.
1: It is not yours. Pornography, which is... Takes a person and
0: makes them an object. Pornography itself is a complete reversal of the intention of sexual. Abuse.
1: And it is designed to trap you.
0: Even our growing understanding of how dopamine works in the brain. And I'm not going to sit here and try to bro science you. I don't, I, don't, I don't do that. Go listen to those pie guys. It's just. But what we are learning about dopamine is what starts off small. The rewiring that happens on a physiological level within your brain is designed to trap you, to
1: capture you, to hold you. body is not yours. I'll also say this. The person in your bed is not enough. And here's even two. I mean, I can't go too long. Um, And there's so much nuance here. I don't have it in my notes, which is probably dangerous, but here's what I'll say. especially to the women in our church. There is a long history of the church. Preaching against pornography and then in practice, objectifying. I can't meet with you alone because I'm a man and you're a woman. So embrace that, but say, don't you dare look at pornography. And I just, on behalf of the church, And if our church, and if I, or if the church in general, has ever said in, in a way that reduces you to an object to be consumed, I am sorry we have made it unsafe. So one of the questions we have to ask here is, okay, does Jesus really want us to cut off our hands? Then you can go ahead and bring in the knives. <laughs>
0: Not to get real weird, and you're like, I never For Sunday also, I'm sorry. <laughs> and he's using, again, rabbinic hyperbole.
1: Hyperbole. To go, this is serious. It needs to be treated seriously. Something's off. Beloved was act like it. Let me know. Let us know that you're with your partner. The fourth movement. Divorce. Jesus
0: here is going to use the same pattern. I've heard it said. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And some of you know this. In Jesus' day, divorce was an incredibly easy process for me. In Jesus's day, and this is one of the ones where Jesus actually makes a move to go even more strict. And one of the things I love, and it's easy to miss this about Jesus, probably especially as your man, as a man, but I would imagine as women, you probably pick up on a little bit. One of the moves of Jesus is always to move against the patriarchal culture of his day and today, but of his day. He's always putting places of protection around women. The first disciples he calls are women. The first apostles are women. The people he seems drawn to, to move to, are women. They're just receptive to, I was talking with a a friend about this right before church. They're receptive to Jesus in this new way that we call the kingdom than any other person, especially any other But it was incredibly casual in Jesus' day, like an eviction notice. In fact, uh, one of the famous rabbis of Jesus' day, Rabbi Hillel, uh, had this teaching that, listen, if your wife burns dinner, you can divorce her. It
1: was incredibly casual. It was incredibly casual. But Jesus is putting a boundary in place. And it's a
0: boundary that for many then and many today will be tough and will be painful. And so here's what I'll say. One of the things Jesus teaches, and I think this is here in Jesus' words, is that the reality of divorce is that divorce is painful It is painful. And it is contrary to what God desires, because marriage is meant to emulate the very heart of God's word a people: a God who is steadfast, a God who is work. And many people treat marriage
1: and divorce too casual.
0: So I think this means a few things. First, we can acknowledge that it is painful and awful. But here's what I'll say. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter.
1: And we have to hold those two truths in tension: That it is painful. It is not what God wants. But sometimes it is the only option.
0: And God will give several arguments and reasons to divorce and to not divorce. Most of the reasons are tied to a significant sin. What it's not usually tied to, in fact, ever, is any kind of personal feeling. I thought they were my soulmate, but they're not. Right? Kind of a love is blind, if you're familiar with that show on Netflix. That was one of our trashy TVs. People just propose with a wall in between them, and then they get like I don't know how many days to figure out if it's going to work. And at the end, they're like, nah, it doesn't work. You're not what I thought you looked like. I don't like your laugh. I liked it behind a wall, but not now. I just thought you were my soulmate in your life.
1: There's a casualness to which it has been treated. At most, here's what I'll say, divorce is never something to be celebrated, even when it is the best option. It's not
0: something to be celebrated. What Jesus is saying this morning is that you should try as best you can to avoid divorce. Because marriage is a covenant before God. We must acknowledge that divorce is not what God wants, even if there are times when it needs to be done. So here are a few invitations. First, if you've already been divorced, if you have not grieved your loss, if you have not named your part, if you have not sought out healing, I think that might be the invitation for you this morning. Because beloved, I think most of us know whether we admit it or not, untransformed pain will repeat itself. I'm not going to call out who, but it was hilarious and it was said in a joke. At our deacons, we were celebrating deacons this past Wednesday, both the new de the deacons who were rolling off and our new uh, group of deacons who are coming in. And then I forget if it was in the main set, the main kind of thing we were doing, whatever it was, doesn't matter when it was. Somebody joked around about how what they do with their feelings is they stuff them way down deep, and this person goes, Because they're safe down there. And I loved that. It's hilarious and also really true. And if we shove our pain way down deep because it's safe down there, the reality is eventually it will leak. Untransformed pain will repeat itself. And friends, Healing and restoration is available to us. That's why we do healing prayer on the first Sunday of the month. And it's why we ask the healing prayer team to be here again today. Because in speaking to things like anger and adultery, divorce and oaths, there are wounds, myself included, we carry. And so we can name it. And also name the reality that healing and restoration is available should we want it. The second thing I'll say is if you're divorced and remarried, I think the invitation, and again, every situation is so different and so complex. I told a number of you that it feels like part of my call as a pastor in this season is to remind everyone how complex everything is. Because again, when we're exhausted, we have little room for nuance. We just want everything to be simple, black and white. And what's unfortunate about that is oftentimes it it forces us to lose out and not see the complexity of people and of stories and of situations. Going, it's way more complicated. But if you're divorced and
1: remarried and you're sitting there going, well, did I shoot? Don't, Don't get divorced
0: again. If you're divorced and remarried, the invitation is to acknowledge that your relationship is going to have a level of complexity to it. And if you're single,
1: here again, the
0: church, especially the evangelical church, has sinned against you as a single person. We have upheld marriage as the end-all be-all of spirituality and godliness. And then all of us got married. I'm not going to, well, I'm going to pick on her a little bit. Maria Kondo, right? Does this give you, does this spark joy and then get rid of it? Are y- y'all familiar with who I'm talking about? Just y'all see the article last week? She gave up on it. Why? She had three kids. All of us that had kids knew. Oh, you want to get rid of one water bottle?
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Where are the other ones? No, Maria, I want to keep all 12 water bottles because we never know where they are at any given time. Why do I have that many books? Because it's how we hide. Like, what do you... And she had kids and was like, I'm giving it up. Sorry, I was wrong. It was awesome. It was such, I sent, I sent it to my wife and said, Happy Valentine's Day is my gift to you. Just to let you know, we were right. We were right. We held up marriage as the end all be all. And then every one of us got married and realized how oh. hard.
1: And not only that.
0: We neglected to remember that throughout the history of the church. Those who were, by choice or not, single. Some of the most incredible people. Contributing.
1: Loving. Serving. And also realize that some
0: people's reasons for not being able to get married are vastly different. And so, again, if you are a single person in this church, I want to say on behalf of the church, I am sorry because we have sinned against you. And if you have heard me or our church or the church in general say anything that would classify you as a second class citizen in the midst of a community, we were wrong and I am sorry.
1: And if you decide
0: that you want to get married, be deliberate in deciding that. And
1: then finally, if you're married, all I'll say is be the
0: truest spouse and partner you can be. When people come to me for whether it be marriage counseling or, pre-mar- or premarital counseling, the themes I see pop up most often is is that they've gotten out of or never been in the practice of repair. Listen, you live with a messy person. I'm not just talking about the fact that I can't figure out how to put clothes in the clothes hamper, not on top. Finally, my wife was like, I'm buying one without a lid. I don't understand what's wrong. I was like, I don't know. But you live with someone who is working working out what it means to follow Jesus. And you're going to sin against one another. You're going to harm one another, and the most important thing you can do is to say, "I'm sorry." How do I make this right?
1: Then the other thing is is just
0: forgetting that the person they have married is a beloved image bearer, who is incredibly complex, and is exactly the person God wants them to be.
1: Their sense of humor their Enneagram type, their hair color, body,
0: God is at ease with them. The invitation for us is to become the kind of people who grow at ease with ourselves so that we might grow at ease with them as well. The fifth thing is oaths. Here's all I'll say about this. Jesus again follows this pattern. You've heard, but I say. And here's what Jesus is trying to say in this movement. He's trying to say, don't be the kind of person who has to add weight to their words to be believed. Don't be the kind of person who has to add weight to their words in order to be believed. I think the implications of this are doing what you say, not saying something if you know you can't go through with it. But also again, to do the repair work, I'm sorry, how can I make it right? Jesus' words here are a reminder that trust Oh, we'd love for trust to be like a light switch. It is when you lose it. Just gone. We'd love for it to be like, "Why don't you trust me? Just turn the light switch back on. And that's because while losing trust is like a light switch, rebuilding is a lot more like a thermostat. This room's 73. I wish it was 68. If I were to go over there and just hit the buttons, it wouldn't happen like that. It takes time. Takes time so here's what i'll say in conclusion the question i'll ask myself and i'll ask you is what are we prepared to
1: do with all of this the lord only
0: ever deals in reality and if we're willing there's an invitation to stop being defensive and to name reality and i say that and i will also say that is really hard to do Jesus looks at us, sees our anger, our adultery, our broken relationships, our embellishments, all of it. And to us,
1: he says, come, take, eat.
0: Beloved, I think that's the way forward. To name reality and to taste and to see and to feel and to know the love and the grace that is the life of God in us if we want it. Which will mean healing, transformation, and honesty. Rethinking our strategy for living. But not stepping into anything
1: less than a better way.
0: I brought it up before, but this, what I'm talking about is the image of repentance that is a banquet. Where you have been, beloved, is not a feast. Where you have stumbled into by invitation of the one who holds you is. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.